Dr. Kim Lannon here on Wednesday, the 7th of September. Is it the 7th of September? It, it is, is the 7th of September. <gasps> oh my God. 7th of September, 2022. And it's um, a beautiful day here after two and a half days of pouring rain that we needed. Yes. And so I'm loving the fact that we had rain and and now we have a beautiful day back. It feels like 80,000 degrees outside and humid again. <laughs> Yesterday was 60. <laughs> now it's right back up. Hence, I'm still in like summer gear. Which is fine for me because it's bad in here though. It's very humid in here. Yeah. Which means I'm gonna sweat. Thanks very much. <laughs> Not that everyone wanted to. There's know something that. about this and the air condition the air air conditioning is right above us, by the way. Well, you know what? There's probably all kinds of it's bad like a chemicals being and a half blown a pipe. on me. But it's somehow in the temperate zones, it's bad. In the summer it's cool, in the winter it's warm, but spring and fall, it's like it's hot in here today. It, yeah, yeah. It's like a sweat box. It can't handle the the swing spring and fall. Here we say swing. The swing. The, sw the swinging. Now we're swinging. Don't mean a thing. We ain't got that swing. <laughs> do up, do up, do up. Oh, yeah. we just dated ourselves. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, anyway, so it is a lovely day here. And how was your weekend, your long Labor Day weekend? It was okay. Really? That yeah. was it? Yeah. Lackluster? Yeah, lackluster. <sighs> well, all righty then. Did you do anything fun? Not really. Oh, my God. All right. Well. <laughs> I'm um, trying to think. That was a long time ago now. It was literally the day before yesterday. I know. Okay. Yeah, it's right. not like a regular weekend where yeah. we're, you know, anyway. Oh, no. Now I'm starting. See, I get in here and I'm congested. It's your fault. It's my job description. <laughs> um. So I just, I was going to, I was going to talk about a, a couple things, mm -hmm. which I know I came in and said, I don't know what I'm talking about today, but I actually do. But you know what I was really excited about? I was looking at stats yesterday, not that anyone cares, but I was very excited to see that the stats for the show in the past like few months have gone even more global. And I have nice. listeners in camp. I don't know if you know this. Do you even look at my stats? I don't. <laughs> so the show stats are exciting for a couple shows. reasons because it's reaching... <laughs> I'm going to ignore you yeah. because it's reaching so many people that I want it to reach in general. Right. And the numbers have, are increasing and I watch it weekly um, because health and wellness is so important mm -hmm. and the holistic movement and so on and so forth. But I'm now um, I have I was in Sweden. People, you know, I wasn't in Sweden, but, you know, there's people in Sweden, Norway. I now have Australia, even more followers, um, nice. people in Cambodia, Indonesia in general, because that's how it breaks out. Yeah. Um, and then uh statewide it's just grown exponentially so i'm very excited and thank you all so please keep liking and sharing on facebook and then if you go to youtube certainly like and share um because that helps that in getting the messages out because my goal is to help people have their best lives in mm -hmm. any way that they can find um and sometimes it's really hard for people to find therapy right now uh it you know i have a, i have almost a year-long wait list and yeah. i do squish people and i'm about to sneeze here it comes <laughs> it's this room um or maybe it's you i don't know maybe it's rocky and, oh yeah i have rocky with me today <laughs> rocky yeah he's he's chewing my shoe okay. so we have a activity going yeah. on right, um uh but uh you know, you took me off my train of thought. But nonetheless, um, we it's are... It's hard to find... It's hard to find... Thank you. Yeah. It's hard to find therapy right mm -hmm. now. And there are lots of... 
apps out there and there's lots of podcasts like you can pull up the top 10 health and wellness podcast or whatever and there's the happiness podcast and you know and everyone's got their different slant but i do appreciate the listening audience for me and passing me along because i think i bring bring a unique and different experience and i that's what the feedback is that i get from people and so i'm really excited about watching um the show grow and helping it grow further so can i can i add for people a don't give up right and b keep listening to different things because all modalities no matter what you're doing it's all the same concepts it's just different lexicon and in different ways of going about right. it and you have to find the way that speaks to you. That, that was a big thing for me for a long time. It's like, I'm just listening to various stuff and it's like, it's not landing. And then all of a sudden something landed and it's like, oh, I get it now. Well, and, and that's the thing is if you have, I mean, I know people like I have, you know, patients that listen to me and mm -hmm. then they listen to like they they have four or five other loaded up podcasts that they, they switch in and out yep. and they're utilizing them for, you know, one week, like it might not be relevant to them. And then another week that, you know, a couple shows have been really relevant. Like when we do stuff and I talk about recovery or last week when I was talking about mushrooms and psilocybin, people were yep. very interested in the new technology of, of, and the science is behind that. So it really depends on what fits. And then some weeks is just on motivation, which today I'm going to talk a little bit about motivation, where it comes from and how to get it. Cause it's sort of a misnomer, but it really depends on what fits and it's not a one size fits all. And I think that people don't realize that, you know, you can seek out, you know, you can read self-help books, you can do yoga, you can do Buddhist practice and mindfulness, you can do dialectical behavior therapy, you can go for long walks in the woods. There's all this amazing research on how, and, and how much it does for your brain rewiring when you're actually out in yep. nature and you don't have to talk to anybody. <laughs> well, when we did the show with Michelle, the right. whole, for example, a good example is the whole sandbox con yes. concept. I love the sandbox. No, because sometimes it lands for people. Yes. Where they didn't get the concept before. They, they right. Don't... Well, it landed for a lot of people on that yeah. show because I right. got probably one of the most, um, a most amount of feedback I'd gotten on on a concept was from that show. So like it can be sandbox. a phrase. It can be just the way it's we phrase it on a given day or someone else phrases it and it's going to land for you. And it's, again, it's all the same concepts. It's just finding a way that speaks right. to you. Right. right. Well, yeah. so, you know, like some people get certain, like I try to use metaphor. And so when people hear that and, and they can imagine it in their mind or see something visual, it makes a big difference. So um, that's why I encourage people to use the Calm app. I know, again, not getting a kickback for the Calm app, but the Calm app is a, is a really great app because you get to have different ways of experiencing those aha moments through mm. a variety of different ways that the Calm app captures. Um, you know, I, I think that there's a whole bunch of other things out there to do as well. So, you know, this is just one of those Yep. One of those things. Keep fishing because you're going to yeah. find you're going to find the thing. Yes. That, that but hits certainly you. keep fishing, but keep me in your yes, in course. your lineup because <laughs> we're good at it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so so one of the things that um, came up, there's a couple of things that have come up from the past few shows is people kind of coming back around to um, uh, what, how, what genetics role play in a lot of things and mm -hmm. then also motivation. So I thought I would talk a little bit about both those things today and we'll jump right in. Um, are you ready? I'm ready. Oh, okay. You're looking at me like, mm. I'm waiting to see what, no, wait um, to see you're, waiting, you're waiting to see what's going to happen. Um, I've got my game face on. Oh, you're so good. Oh boy. <laughs> you're sucking up. No, there's I'm not a lot sucking of sucking up, up going on. No. Um, I love it. I love it when I get texts during the 
<laughs> people don't want to post up on the on things, so they text me on the side. I learned a lesson this week. Can we talk about that? You learned a lesson. This I learned week? a lesson this week. Oh yes. I, or or I, was... I learned an insight this week that I think more people should be aware of. I was sitting there dealing with, you know, feelings and my mental health. Yes. And just you, you and I talked about it. It's like all of a sudden it just hit me. It's like this is may not be me. This may be medication. Oh yes. Oh, we can talk about that. And a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't understand when because a lot of people are on medication. They don't understand the effects of it, and they they think a lot of what they're feeling and a lot of what's going on with them is just natural. But so let's sort of, without saying all the details, let's talk yeah. about like, so last week you were a little off. Well, I've been just, off just for, let me tell the story. Been off for a little bit. But, but last week I, I more noticed it, yeah. right. Cause I called it out during the show and said, you're seemingly what's up, tired, something's yeah. up. And after the show, we had a little bit of a discussion about you were feeling really off and, and, Here's where the difference is in me being uh, in my field and what I do versus other people that are in my field. I said, what medication are you taking? Yeah. Although we had reviewed that six months ago, we never came back around to it. And you gave me your list. And I, the very first medication you said, I said, that's the one that's making you tired. And it does that in yeah. men typically. So I'm going to name it. Can I name it? Yeah. Okay. So metaprolol mm -hmm. typically can make people very, very tired. It's a beta blocker. And yep, it's yeah. beta blocker. And it and it tends to do that more in men, at least anecdotally. And also there's some research to back that up. And um and also makes people more depressive um and blah and have yeah, those bluesies. Sluggish, yeah. Yeah. And so and there's a couple other meds that do that. But you had in your list of meds, I was like, that one needs to go because that one's causing this problem. And then your other ones were not, yeah. and they don't have that side effect panel on them. So, but as soon as you said that one, I'm like, oh, that's the one. So. Yeah, and I've been looking into it too and, and, and started suspecting that maybe that was contributing to some of these, some of what I was feeling. And and so when you, when you look at that, so say you were only taking that one and I said, well, you gotta either get off it or change it or do something different, right? That'd be different. I mean, that'd mm -hmm. be something else. But when you have, and this is so many people out there. I mean, I have people on, they come and they have 10, 12, 15 right. meds. Yeah. And I think you had a list of like four, right? Yeah. So they all interact with each other as well. That's why it's called contraindications if there's a problem. But a lot of times people don't realize that there can be Although there's no contraindication that a doctor would say, yeah, it's really bad. They're still interacting mm -hmm. with each other. Plus, know, don't be don't be surprised if, well, this one and that one are not interacting because they are. And it might be causing you yep. and not that person this problem. Plus, so, I'm being prescribed by one prescriber who knows everything that's going on. Right. Uh, many times people who have several medications are getting them from different prescribers who aren't paying attention to what's going on. Are you asking me what's going on? <laughs> I'm sorry. He just took my other shoe and he's whipping it around the studio. I'm sorry. The dog is underneath my feet and he just took my shoe off my foot and is whipping it around the studio. Sorry. So, so other people with multiple medications, <laughs> they're getting it from multiple uh, prescribers yes. who don't even know, may not even have a real good grasp of what else you're taking. Well, and, and so that's, so that is a more common practice than not that I see because yeah. I see people that have like their medical condition and then they see a psychiatrist. And so then the psychiatrist then prescribes on top of the medical condition yeah. medication and the two are not communicating with each other. And 
I often find myself in the position of being the bridge between one or both to be able to send the patient back and say, we need to talk about these particular things and how they're interacting because obviously I, and I can't do, so I do a lot of natural recommendations, but I can't give certain natural recommendations if I know that like, cause they interact with certain things. Like you can't take certain um, vitamins are not the same thing, but if you take certain roots or certain minerals or certain, you can't, take some of those things with a beta blocker. You can't take some of those things with a high blood pressure pill in general or something else. So, or some of the psychiatric medications, um, people, Oh my God. Do you hear him? (laughs) Do you hear him? He is killing my shoe. I might not have a shoe when I leave. He's like, (laughs) (laughs) so he's getting his frustrations out. He's doing it. (laughs) The shoe's bigger than he is. (laughs) Um, but the, the combination of medication so often is, um, causing a bigger problem than the problem that was presenting in the first place. Yep. And this kind of goes back to what that's what started our conversation. Yes. That's, I was going to say, this is so, what goes back to last I'm, week. I'm being treated for high blood pressure, which was found by surprise. And I was asymptomatic. I had no idea. Right. And it's like, I'm thinking I've been on medication now and I feel worse than I did. I have symptoms now when I didn't have symptoms before. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and so I don't, we, well, many times people who have a high blood pressure that's asymptomatic and it can be genetically linked. It can have all kinds of other things to it. There are, there are go-tos to do first before medication is there. I always encourage people to find primary cares. I love, I love my primary care one because she lets me do what I want because she knows I know what I'm doing. Yeah. That's a plus. But she's also really good at the fact that we have a similar way of being in the world. So if we think of a problem, even we consult on each other's stuff of other people, because she'll be like, well, did the, the person do, da, 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 and you know, like, you know, eat, are they eating right? Are they doing yoga? Are they running? Are they biking? Are they walking? Are they, you know, whatever. It's like there's 17 steps before just dropping in a medication, which is that thing we always come back to of, well, the medication's a quick fix, yeah. so we won't go there yet or again today. But the the um, the feeling bad, like you said, isn't always because you're feeling bad. It's yeah. possibly and very likely many times that it's because it's something that you're ingesting. Um, and sometimes it's in it's your environment, like this room. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it's your diet. Right. Sometimes Some, it's your yeah. diet. Yeah. Sometimes it's um, dehydration. Mm-hmm. That's one of the highest... I would say the highest recommendations I make for people when they first come in is when they have some symptom, typically headaches, um, fatigue, uh, and bloating is, are you dehydrated? And I always get that cross-eyed look of like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, oftentimes people, when they're dehydrated, well, obviously you think dehydrated people shrink in, right? But the body will retain water to right. hold on to if you're not drinking water or you're not drinking. And hoods and rations. Right? Yeah. So it will bloat. Yeah. Right? So people don't realize that bloat can also mean that. Um, but also just the fact that people come in with all these, these symptoms and they think it's the medication. Well, yes. And so if you're on something like, and I'm going to go down the list, um, these are all the SSRIs and, and, and family of. So like if you're on <clears throat> Zoloft, Prozac, Paxil, Luvox, Lexapro, Celexa, Wellbutrin, Buspar, right? Mm-hmm. There's a list. Yeah. That's pretty good, right? Yeah. Those all dehydrate you. 
because they're anticholinergic. So they can make you have dry mouth and that means you need to be drinking more water. So if we take the holistic physical approach and you're drinking half your body weight in ounces on a daily basis in your life daily normal, and then you add in a medication that's dehydrating and, oh, and then you had a 10 or 12 ounce cup of coffee twice. Yeah. Now you're dehydrating more. <clears throat> the likelihood is you're going to have a bad headache or you're going to have a blood sugar drop or you're going to have a sodium spike or drop because our bodies are water and our bodies are regulated on that salt level that needs water. And so when we start going through de dehydration, for a variety of reasons, you have to look at all those pieces. It's not just, oh, I have a headache. I'll take an Advil. It's like, maybe you just need water. Yeah. And that's always my first go-to is how much water are you drinking? How much salt are you taking in? And I, and it's, you know, it still surprises me about how much salt people add to their food Yeah. and how salty food already is, especially people who are still into the processed foods and quick, quick buy foods. There's so much, um, sodium yep. and, uh, MSG added in other salt products added in and adding more salt is, you know, could, could like contributes to high blood pressure. If you have a genetically related high blood pressure, high cholesterol, that's already there. And it's not, and you're not coming, you're not bringing it to the table with like eating whatever that's too much. And, and then, but you find out, oh, well, yeah, but I add salt to everything. The first thing is take the salt out. Yeah. Right. I had one patient. That's that a difficult one, though, because I don't add salt to anything. And it's still it's trouble. I still look at some of the stuff I eat and it's like, God, you know, or, you know, like. I'm, well, salt makes everything taste better. No, it's I know. But I mean, butter. it's tough. It's tough to avoid it. It's one of those things like sugar. It's just tough to avoid in your food. It's just there. Well, in processed foods, it's tough. Yeah. Right. So but and, and so here's the other piece of that is when you're eating processed foods and you're not eating from the ground. I know it's like beating the dead horse, you know, listening yep. to this, but it can't help but talk about this because it's so important when you're eating the processed foods. And I'm not saying I don't because I have my quick, quick things on occasion. You got to look at the salt content and think, OK, how's that going to integrate with my medication? I'm not, I'm not taking that. But, you know, what I mean, so yep. how, what does that do? All those chemicals, phenylalanine. <laughs> I love that one, <laughs> right? All the things like even aspartame, saccharin, um, you know, you name it. Now they're changing all the sugar names so you can't yeah, tell right. it's sugar. Yeah. You know, it used to be like corn syrup and you knew. Um, but now it's like, okay, that actually impacts your medication metabolism as well. And people don't realize that. Yeah. So when you talk about metaprolol making, in, making you tired, for instance, what could you do differently in, you know, all the time I say exercise, Lou, it will give you more stimulation. Your, your metaprolol is affecting you to the fact that I don't know if you're, That's I could like, have you be at the gym for two hours yeah. getting the high off of serotonin. And I don't know if that would really lift that because the metaprolol is suppressing that from happening in you. Yeah. That's one of the things that was one of the triggers for me because I, you know, I'm not running to the gym every time. Right. But I wasn't having the struggles that I'm having now. It's like, I just, uh, just just being like I said, like I told you, I could get up in the morning and an hour later I could take a nap. Right. You know, and that that's and that's definitely medication yeah. right there. That's just a yeah. medication. It, it's but, interesting. And, and, and to your point last week, it was like, you know, and I know you don't like to ever say like, oh, it's because I'm getting old. But that's what people will do. They're like, yeah. oh, well, I'm getting old. No. Yeah. It has nothing to do. with it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, your body's not meant even at nine years old to all of a sudden 
be like, well, I shouldn't say 90, but it typically isn't like, okay, I'm up for an hour. I've got to go back to sleep. There's something else going on. There. Yeah. And it's just like, just things were different. It's like, I'm going to the gym and I'm sitting there and it's like, after the gym, it's like, I had to wait 10 minutes to get changed. I was just sitting there going, I don't have the energy to get changed right now. I'm just right. going to sit here. And so that's, so because you're aware and I, and I want people to hear your experience that because that is so strikingly different than who you are as a person, then that is a signal to you to pay attention to, to go, what's really going on here? Because yeah. that's out of my norm. And it can't go to that quick, well, I'm getting older or I gained yeah, no. weight. It, you got to really look at, wait, what are the externals, not the internals? Look at what's influencing you from the outside in first in those cases. Like what's really going on here? And that's, you know, that's why last week, that was the first thing I said is what's the medication? Yeah. That's the checklist, right? Yeah. Medication, water, exercise, sleep. Yes. You, you get well, all those it, things in line. You're way ahead of the game. Yes. And, yeah. and less, less medication in most cases, not all is more, right? Less right. medication is more. Um, people often do the more is more. No, <laughs> more, more will make you feel like that more. Um, but so sleep is your number one. Sleep is your number one is thing. It? See, that was the big thing with the metaprolol because I was sleeping in like two hour increments and I've never had that issue before. It's, it had been happening for a while. It just kind of occurred to me that all this, it, this is all, this is different. I, right. And I've been on metaprolol for a while, but. So meta, so we're on poor metaprolol is going to get a bad right. rap today. So metaprolol has a profile on it that is quite long and you clearly are very sensitive to the metaprolol so you you get the number one symptom which is tiredness mm -hmm. or it's one of the top two latin dizziness i don't know if you get dizzy ever off of it so and then and then there's restlessness so when you say i pop out of sleep every two hours that would say oh the metaprolol is popping you out of sleep yeah. because it's it's trying to keep your blood pressure regulated and it's getting your cardiovascular system and your polyvagal nerve likely revved up in your brain to go so it's popping you out of sleep. Yeah. But it's just, most people just do the medication. They don't understand the effect. And a lot of the stuff that they're dealing with, it, just review your medication, right? Well, review your medication and ask questions. Yeah. Most people, here's, most people don't review, don't ask questions, feel guilty asking questions, feel like they're getting, the doctor that they have is going to be upset with them because it's challenging them. Um, I always say, if a doctor is getting mad at you because you're asking, time to change doctors. Yeah because that's a problem. Um, and I understand the sensitivity to, you know, consulting the Google doctor. And I, understand oh, I have lots of Google doc people come yeah. in and we, I have good laughs with people. I'm like, Oh, you went to Google doc. Yeah. Dr. Google in uh, Dr. Wikipedia. That's even better. Yeah. Cause Dr. Wikipedia is even more accurate. <laughs> it's like, as it just so happens, my, one of my serious partners uh, on a serious show, we're kind of dealing with the same things. And a lot of times we exchange this type of how you feeling this week. And it's like a tight and he goes, you know, you know, and he was on it. He's got metaprolol. And he goes, yep. And he goes, yeah. He goes, that has it, you know, and, and he's just talking about his experience with it. So you just find a way. But yeah, and this is going to be an interesting experiment because I have my appointment tomorrow and I'm going to beg off metaprolol. I've already started weaning myself off. I cut my dosage in half. Oh, good. <laughs> How do you feel? I, I, I feel like there's improvement, but I don't know if that's self-confirming. I don't know if I'm right. self-confirming. Right. right. Well, if, I mean, so for you and people in your case, you know, advocate for yourself. So I'm not going to tell you what to do. Yeah. But so advocate for yourself and certainly, you know, 
see if your doctor feels it's really necessary because you, in your case, you have multiple, you're, you're over covering each other on medication. So I think it, it's worthy of review because you've got multiple yeah. overlaps and sometimes that's necessary and really sometimes it's not. Um, so that would be, you know, the advocacy part and hopefully your doctor will listen to that and letting it be a break. Cause you've got enough coverage on the other things that you probably don't need to have that on board at this juncture just to take a break from it. It's not, not, doing what it's supposed to be doing well it's for you yeah for you yeah and and that's why i said specifically and men i find this this and it it bears out in some of the research too that men because can, that the beta blocker is to reduce heart rate right mm, yeah mm -hmm. and it's not but there's not other things that. out yeah. there that can do what you're looking for without giving you that side effect profile yeah and if it were working, I might consider taking on the side effects, but it's not right. doing what it, well, it's even not then, having its even intended Even then, I would effect. encourage people that yeah. even though if it's working and there's another alternative that wouldn't give you that side effect, I would move away from something like that. Yeah. Because metoprolol and uh, lisinopril in men, lisinopril is a, a high blood pressure medication as well. That also in men makes that happen. Hmm. So people, so I have like a patient that has been on it for years and years. And he was just always like, you know, the lethargy and, and, and we'd reviewed it. And I, I actually thought, cause I've had his in my client load forever. And I thought we, he had gone off of it and he just couldn't, every time he'd come in, he'd be nodding at the beginning of our session. I'm like, and he's a active workout, full employed outside all the time. Like he's an outdoors yep. worker. Um, and so on and so forth, self-employed, blah, blah, blah. But he'd be exhausted. And finally, I... Yeah, and sometimes you think that's just because you're working hard. Well, that, right, yeah. and I had, just, I had assumed, because we had talked about it so long ago and very, you know, detailed, we're getting rid of lisinopril and metaprolol. Uh, he was on both. Hmm. Yeah, no, he was still taking it. And I'm like, oh, hmm. this is why you're like this. And so... And I think men also are reluctant to like she when she gives me the medication, she always goes over the potential side effects and says, if this happens, call me if you feel right. this. But a guy a lot of times and I felt right. I fall guilty of that myself. It's like, yeah, I'm tired. I'm always tired. <laughs> you know? so, you, so you, you just don't want to identify with it all. Yeah. You don't want to complain. And, you know, and again, I didn't attach it to the medication. I just thought, OK, I'm just old well running down yeah. well, this is like i'm being serious this is what people do yeah. they're like well i'm, I'm just wound I'm, out I'm, right now there's a lot you know, going I'm on 50 yeah. i'm 60 yeah. i'm you know it's like wait a second that's not yeah that's not you know that's those are the that's well that's part of the thing of like it's just my genetics mm. yeah that's not true yeah and so that's you know be, i think people have to be very cautionary of falling into the trap of the external excuses of how come they can't or why it can't be different um which goes to the whole thing of of motivation people think that motivation is supposed to be there all the time mm -hmm. we'll talk about that hopefully in a little bit but that that goes into that but i want to go back to the medication thing for a second around just um recovery and addiction because this is and, and there's such a big push right now for um addiction food addiction and the medi spas for weight control mm -hmm. have you have We've talked a little bit about that, yeah. but how much medication now is being utilized. And again, you know, there is something to be said for eating well, exercising and et cetera. Now people will debate, especially people who are like, well, if you have a thyroid condition, yes. Right. If you have yep. a thyroid condition, certainly there's things that get in the way of weight and all those things. But 
going to the addiction piece, people are loading up on medications and that's not just with the food addiction stuff, but other, other things in terms of, you know, your mainstream addictions like drugs, alcohol, and so on and so forth. And people being in recovery in recovery with a bag of 10, 11, 12 different pills that also create addictive behaviors. You know, so I, it always amazes me that patients, I don't have any currently, I don't think, hmm, maybe one, but uh, over the years of how many people will come to me and be in recovery and trust the doctors, yeah. use that on purpose, because they're not getting it from one, they're getting it from multiples who are not talking to each other. Now they've got a set of 12 medications and they're, I call it floor licking. They're like, uh, yeah. you know, and they can't figure out why. Well, so they're taking like clonidine, which is a, by nature, a blood pressure dropper um, for hypertension, but also it's used secondary to for ADD to calm down symptoms at night, to calm down symptoms of people's agitation yeah. to make, you know, so it's used for a variety of anxiety things. Okay. So it has lots of different issues. So you get put that in, then you've got things like gabapentin. Gabapentin is, is a, an anti, it's a nerve ending. It's supposed to be for nerves. GABA is your nervous system. It's mm -hmm. your anxiety uh, neurotransmitters. Gabapentin is a derivative of that. It's also called Neurontin. It's for peripheral nerve uh, feelings of tingling and feeling not good. That's what it originally was for. And now it's used for, <laughs> you name it, it's yeah. for pain management. It's for anxiety because it has GABA in it. So it's for, but it's addictive. Yep. So people who are coming out of addiction and want to be in recovery are being put on gabapentin at high, high doses and then can't figure out why, you know, they keep needing more. Well, because you're tapping out the steady state and need more and yep. more and more. Um, and it's not working. Right. Because that's the same thing as replacing the other. So, so you have like clonidine and you have uh, venlafaxine, which is a fixer. You have um, gabapentin. Then people go on two or three sleep medications like Seroquel and Trazodone and Ambien. And then they're given, oh, and, and they're on methadone. <laughs> and then, you know, there's all these different things. And you look at people and they're, you know, they're like, and they say, but I think I need another medication because this isn't working. Yeah. You know, no, no. It, it would be really good to just strip it all down to the basics because, you know, to be your clean self, fully clean to see how you really function is really important. And if you can't do it on your own and being in an inpatient place to help you, that is good. That's mm -hmm. fine. But for people doing that, it's important. So to go back to the food one. This is all pharmaceutical dysregulation, isn't it? I yeah. mean, it just puts you in a dysregulated state all the time. Right. And you're getting and people justify it because it's it's it. Well, it's prescribed. Yeah. If, if the doctor says I can have it and I want to say, well, yeah, the doctor says you can have it. Great. But that's giving you permission to not take responsibility for your own stuff. You still have to do the work, which we talked about. And um, that's someone who's seeing you for five minutes every couple of months. Right. That the only tool they have in the toolbox, our buddy Jeff, one of my favorite Jeff Shank sayings, yeah. if all you have is if all you see is nails, all, if all you have is a hammer, all you see is nails. Right. Exactly. It's their only tool. That's the only way they can treat you. Right. Because they only see you every couple of months for five and that's minutes. all they're treating for. They're only treating for the medication. They don't like that's one of the biggest complaints I get from people. I don't know what he's eating. That's one of the biggest complaints I get from people is that my doctor only sees me for five minutes and he or she didn't even listen to me. They just gave me the same thing. They say, how are you feeling? Did anything change? OK, here's your script. Yep. $350. Yeah. And 
and and then they ask me like what do i do but, and, and i give four or five different recommendations of what are their options in terms of seeking different treatment yeah. seeking different alternatives finding you know there's a whole litany of things but, but it's about all the, it's about seeing other opinions for example you go with an orthopedic condition you go to a surgeon they're gonna they're gonna recommend surgery because that's well, what right, they do right exactly uh, your primary care physicians per prescribe stuff that's what he does he's not doing they're not doing any medical procedure please hold while i'm talking to you he has something <laughs> in his mouth but i don't know what it is uh -oh. a pen cap all right all right. I Sorry that, that I had to disappear. The, the dog has a really gross, slimy pin cap. Your shoe dead? <laughs> yep, all chewed up. So it's funny you mentioned I, I, that's what I want to do. I want to go back to a clean slate and one medication right. at this point because I just want to see, you know, not that some of the other natural well, natural approaches you, haven't really. I gave really, you my yeah. recommendations. No, I know. So, and I think. But I it's think, like it's got too convoluted at this point. Right, but you can't do those those recommendations till you have those other ones go out. Yeah, no, because I if yeah. you if you just add in, then we don't know what your base is. And if there were significant results, it might be a different story. But right. even the results haven't been significant. Right for the for the primary reason for all these prescriptions. Exactly. Yeah, and you have to really look at it and go four for the same thing. Yeah, there's this problem, right? So, well, but I, I think you're going to get the right one. Yeah, after tomorrow. Yeah. I'm hoping. <laughs> I do. Well, but I'm in encouraged. Like I said, I and I read. I went to Doctor Google. Of course you did. But I read it. You can't just drop it. You have to wean right. yourself off exactly. of it. So what I've been doing for a week is going to half doses. And yeah. Like I said, it seems to have made a difference, but I don't. I could it might be self-confirming bias. I don't know. Well, but, it could be a little bit of both. Let's yeah. go with that. Yeah. You know. Um. Okay. So, to your point of high blood pressure and cholesterol and things like that people have asked me and and because of the show i did with michelle and a couple other things is genetics yeah and that was one of the pieces i was going to talk about today too is so how much does genetics really play a role and using genetics as the external excuse and how to not get caught in that trap of i call it self-disenfranchisement oh like, really right <laughs> i like it right because yeah. you're disenfranchising yourself you're vulnerable so you utilize the excuse that it's just genetic so therefore i don't have to do anything about it which is the external i'm not responsible i'm not responsible so yeah. i'm not accountable so because it's my genes and so it, when i talked many shows ago and by the way dealing with humans i'm interested in this because this is something i say all the time and i'm wondering how accurate it is because we say that when you're dealing with humans single effect is always wrong right it's always wrong Right. You can't come up with one reason why things are happening. Well, it, it's it's multiple. So when people say like, oh, and I don't want to lose my point on the biopsychosocial, yep. but when people say that it's one thing, I mean, yeah, it can be one thing, but there's usually, it's a combination of things going on. You have a part. And it's, it has yeah. a part to it. Yeah. So, um, but going back to the, what I was saying about the biopsychosocial model about like, there is no gene for depression per se, right? Mm -hmm. So we have predispositions that get passed along, but it's not just genetically, it's, it's interfamilially with patterns of behavior, it's observational behaviors and, and brain patterns and ways of neurologically wiring, watching, seeing, experiencing, plus having a, a, a genetic, I say that loosely, a genetic pass through of, mm -hmm. of, you know, of depression per yeah. se. 
on depression specifically. But when we look at, you know, like alcoholism, drug, it, we'll just say addiction. Addiction is in the same place in the brain as trauma. It's, you know, so it's whether you have trauma and addiction, whether you have that or not, and one or the other, or one comes first and the next one, it's, yes, there's genetic pieces to it. However, what happens to you then becomes a behavioral management strategy of it's not about oh this is happening to me it's about how do you get motivated to make a difference motivation is not it's motivation is not innate to us as a hundred percent thing on a daily it's something that you have to behave yourself into and people often give me that side eye of like what does that mean you have to behave yourself into motivating yourself to get yourself into the right frame of mind the healthy spot the thing that needs to change it can't happen to you so if you're saying well it's genetics you've already made your motivation to be able to do something about it go away right you've set yourself up to go well i don't i have you know i just have no control over this that's what you're saying you're throwing in the towel and saying i have no control that is not the case ever on any of this stuff. And so psychologically, motivation, people have a misnomer that motivation comes from just being, well, I'm internally motivated. I'm, I have a self locus of control. And yeah, there's, there's something to be said for, you know, people who are much more fired up and inspired and it then perpetuates the next thing. But really it's about motivation that continues on a day to day, looking forward purposefully and all those things Mm -hmm. comes from, behaving into it you sort of leaning into your next thing that's going to make you feel motivated that's why people go to the gym that's why people take a walk that's why people get a job that pays them more so it's not because they're more motivated it's because they're leaning into the behavior that leads to the motivation to continue the process um and it's not necessarily a genetic thing um it's not also um a constant and people think it's either constant or not constant. No. And and so when you have someone that's unmotivated, and this is what I get a lot of, there's, you know, you have this unmotivated kind of apathy that I don't really have any motivation to do that. Or people get labeled, especially kids get labeled as lazy. If you do a full systems look at that, you can see that usually there's a behavioral, observational, social teaching and learned behavior pattern around a kid or kids in a family of someone or the family dynamic creating a non-motivated family dynamic where people aren't requiring anything of themselves. They're not tasked to do anything else. There's a learned helplessness that Martin Seligman's theory um, instead of a learned optimism of, you know, things can be better. Things can change. I have power to do this. I can, it's more about, that learned behavior and people will fall back on it, that it's us just genetics. So mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of times I'll hear people. I hate to reduce it to this because it seems so primitive, but isn't this in essence conditioning? Yeah. Especially well, with parenting. Right. Well, yeah, it's a, it's, it's the habit forming of, of yeah. hi buddy. But you get, you are motivated. This is why we talk baby steps all the time. You, you do something, you get a reward and yes. you keep going. Right. And you, but you do stuff and you don't get a reward. And often that, there's your key. You're doing yeah. stuff. You're behaving yourself yeah. into it to get something from it that will give you the inspiration to do more and to do it again. Yeah. But often that's perception. For example, we talk about it with weight loss all the time. Don't try to lose 30 pounds. Right. Go try to lose a pound or two. Right. And 
you know, do the small steps and get that reward and go forward because people are losing weight, but they're not losing 30 pounds quickly enough. So they think that's no reward when actually there is a reward. See the reward. Well, and, the, and I'll even take it back a step because of the motivation conversation is that we're not, we're not actually, we're not actually, he's biting my feet. Hold on, please. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Okay. We clearly need attention. Hello, everybody. Rocky's here. He's chewing on everything, including my feet. Yep. Okay. So. He's got so, a haircut, so he's even smaller. I know. He's even, look at, he's so cute. Yep. yep. <laughs> um, the behavioral motivation um, is so important about how the the learning habituation of a behavior, like like eating, mm-hmm. you know, if you're if you sit down and everyone cleans their plate and has second helpings and cleans their plate every single time, and you tend to be a family that's heavier, the behavior of the learning that's happening is contributing to the existing problem instead of it look being able to say wow, there's a problem. And maybe if we didn't have two plates or maybe if we reduce portion size down, like, but no one's doing that. They're in that interfamilial pattern and intergenerational pattern of something going on. And what I was going to say before that was when you're looking at someone who's like in addiction for a substance, right. That's, you know, illicit, um, you know, that, that it's the same thing. It's habituation into it. You, you don't, you don't get addicted by having something once, well, heroin <laughs> essentially, but you get addicted over habituation and being in a social situation. Mm-hmm. People get addicted to alcohol socially to like loosen up. I mean, one example, or they get around people that they fit in with socially when they're young and it feels good because this group now accepts them because they're smoking marijuana and they're doing lines of coke and whatever it is right it's funny the beginning of addiction is usually group censored Mm -hmm. group centric right Mm -hmm. many times it's usually in my experience it's usually not closeted yeah and you're right you're getting acceptance is one of the things you're getting and it's funny the way out of addiction is also group centric right i know right right in a different way yeah one is it's shared it's shared experience on both ends right but, it's a universal shared experience yeah. which is why the groups work that's why when someone goes into recovery or whether it's eating gambling sex whatever it's not about going back to your same hood it's about going to a different hood right. with a different mindset with a healthier non-toxic spot which because you're just going the, back to the beginning of the tunnel right well yeah. right and so that in and of itself is you're leaning in behaviorally to the motivation of of what's going to catapult you to the next thing and oftentimes people aren't motivated because they don't know how to lean in because they don't see that there's a spot to lean into right because what they're used to habituated into is what's sitting in front of them and that makes it super hard to escape the it's just my genes you know my dad was this way my mom was this way this is how it is you know it can't change for me in addiction it's, it's fascinating though because the group dynamic at the end in recovery gives you all the rewards that you sought when you went into the group dynamic at the beginning <laughs> you okay <laughs> that, that was his head he turned around yeah. and smacked his head sorry yes the group dynamics of the beginning. acceptance <laughs> and support right yes Yes. And, and, but it's in the healthy way. So you have to look at it on that continuum of, of anything you do is where is it unhealthy and unwell versus where is it well and healthy? And, and people will say, oh, it's so hard to be healthy and well. And I'm always like, wait a second. It took you work to be unhealthy and unwell. 
And I always get, I always get this. No, yes, it did. It did. You just didn't realize it because you didn't activate with consciousness for the most part doing it. But when you have to do the healthy well thing, when you're used to not doing that, you have to actively do what you weren't doing in the other way. And it's like, you go, oh, wait. Yeah, but so-and-so did it overnight. Nobody does anything overnight. It takes, it's hard. I always say that it's hard. Every, every choice is hard. Everything is hard. So it's really about, okay, that choice is going to be hard, but it's going to lead me down that path. Yeah. This choice is going to be hard, but it's going to be down that path. This one's going to be a better end. So why would we pick the one that ends poorly? Well, because we're habituated into it. Yeah. So it's, we go with what we know and the brain you know, I'm going to get technical, the wiring of the brain, the neuro patterns of your brain are, are all set from zero to six years old. So if you are raised watching unhealthy patterns, behaviorally, food intake, smoking, drinking, all those things, it doesn't bear out completely on everything because, you know, people can come out of houses that are alcoholic homes and become not. What was the time span you just said? Zero to six. Six years. Okay. Yeah. Right. Six years old. Zero to six. We are neurologically mm-hmm. set. So we that so that span of time sets us up for what's coming. Mm-hmm. And so, with with caveats and exceptions to the rule, obviously, people will, will follow their social pattern lead of their of their primary social ob- observational models, um, and that, in addition to genetics and environmental predispositions like demographics, where you live, socioeconomic status, um, culture, race, background, like, you know, all the things that go into making up a person in their environment all contribute to the issues yep. or the non-issues. Mm-hmm. Um, where motiv- That's where motivation gets stuck many times because people succumb to, but I can't because now fill in your checkbox. Yeah. And that's what I, I mean, my, in my field, that's, that's why I, I see so many people because there's a lot of, I can't because. Well, this is ego, right? Because again, you don't it's want to rea- accept well, the responsibility. Reality. Ego's yeah. reality, right? I can't yeah. accept responsibility because yeah. that would be painful to actually look at my own stuff. Um, um, it, I can't take my part in this because that, that would hurt my self-image. Right. I, I can't be responsible. It's got to be something else. It happened to me. I didn't do it. It happened to me. And and the uh, the, the uh, it happened to me is so common. Um, instead of I'm going to take control of my life, instead of it, you know, there was a we in gymnastics we used to say, does the beam own you or do you own the beam? The beam is a scary event, right? Yep. For gymnasts, female right. gymnasts, because it's four feet off the ground and it's four inches wide and you tumble on it. Yep. Mm, sounds fantastically safe, right? <laughs> right. So it, it's that same concept is, do you own the beam? Do you own the fear or does it own you? Right. And it, it's the same thing in life is it what, you know, what are you taking control of? And acknowledging that you have the power. Now, here's the thing is if you're raised in a habituated home, that doesn't mean it's your parents' fault. Right. But it means if you're raised in a habituated home, you're going to pick up the habits of the home. And those habits, if they're unhealthy, and if they're healthy, you're going to pick them up and you're going to run with them. And if they are so disenfranchising 
because it takes you into the vulnerability spaces of I have no control, I have no power, it's not, there's nothing I can do to change this. In essence, that is um, the, it's such a toxic, unwell cycle. But if it's what you know, that's what you're going to do. Oh, that's what I was going to say about the neural pathways. The neural pathways in the zero to six-year-old are wired like train tracks. So I, I use the train tracks when I talk to my clients and certainly my listeners, please use this. It's, your brain is like train tracks, lots of them. And your pattern behavior has deeply rooted, very heavily grooved train tracks. Mm -hmm. So when you're trying to break the habit, you have to think that that train track essentially has to have the gatekeeper come down over it to stop the track from allowing any traffic on it anymore. Because what you're doing is you need to shift to a new track and create a new one by rewiring your brain by cognitive behavioral therapy. You know, thinking, thinking leads to a behavior because it creates a feeling. So if I think, wow, I actually have more control over this. I don't have to put that thing in my mouth. I don't have to eat that yep. piece of cake. I don't have to pick up that next bottle of Jack. That is actually you changing your brain train pattern to say, I have control over this. When you give in to the reinforcement over and over of putting hand to mouth, and that's like for any addiction pretty much, right? Yep. You're doing reinforcement of the zero to six pattern of social, emotional, behavioral, spiritual, all the things that went into making it. And it's just reinforcing it. So when you have a 35 year old or a 50 year old or a 70 year old saying, I'm really just trying to figure this out now. It's like, well, yeah, because you've been doing this a long yeah. time and yeah. it's hard to get motivated and create motivation when you believe that it's happening to you. Often it takes 40 or 50 years just to realize there's that side of the equation. And, and that can't be truer because I love it when I get 20 somethings and they start working on this yeah. and they're frustrated. They're like, I can't believe I'm 26. And I'm, I'm like, well, you should see the 70 year old that I'm working with that has the same commentary, but he only just started working on it a year ago. I see, I'm doing this with my kids all the time. It's like, I was in my fifties when I learned this, I'm trying to give it to you now. Right. <laughs> right. You know, make use right. of it because once you understand control and for me, it was weight loss. Once you understand you have control over your circumstances, you can start applying it to other things right. and it becomes very rewarding at that point. Well, yeah. And, and I think the, the empowerment there is such a, a charge and you know, it's, it's like the runner's high when you can get that empowerment from even one moment of change. Uh, wow. It's so, it's so amazing yeah. because it makes the, the self-efficacy, the belief of self that, Oh, this can really work so important. And I just had this conversation with a client yesterday. He he's only seen me a few times and he keeps asking me, how long will this take to change? And I <laughs> looked at him and I said, you have the tools. It's how long it will take is based on how much you practice the tools. Yeah. And I can tell it hasn't clicked with him yet that he has to do the work. Yep. Um, but I, I said, there's no guarantees, but I said, I will guarantee you if you don't do the work with the tools, you'll be still asking me in a year. When will this work? I said, it will, it, it will work. I have many people who have had this work and he has a very good toolbox now, yep. but he's not practicing it to the full extent yet, but he really wants it to work but he doesn't have the belief in it because his neural pathways are 
he's so used to nothing works. Life is hard. Yep. Life hands me a raw deal. Um, you know, this is my family. My family taught me this way. I can't break the cycle. These are all the words I'm hearing. All those words are, he's leaning into behavior that are, that is fostered by thoughts that are killing yep. his brain. He's giving up control. He's completely giving up his personal control because we are socialized into thinking we have none when we actually have much. And that's not socialized just around, you know, the community. That's internal to our homes and the continued patterns. You know, people who talk about getting guilt tripped by their parents or that's conditioning. You know, oh, yep. I can't I can't do that. or I can't tell my mom that I'm going to do that because she'll be really mad at me when it's like, why wouldn't you be able to tell your mom that you're going to go do something like that? That should be happy. Your mom should be happy for you. And people are like, I'm not telling her that she'll get mad. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's the same thing. It's because they're so habituated into the, the unhealthy thinking of, I don't have control over this. And, and I don't want to take the negative impact and the uncomfortable feeling because it doesn't benefit me. That makes sense. Yes. So when it doesn't benefit someone, which is why you need why we talk about baby steps so much right. because you need that positive response. It, it has to benefit you. Exactly. Yeah. It has to, and 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 when you get the little baby steps of ooh that actually felt good ooh that worked or whatever it's like okay I get that yeah you know um, then you want to do more right and, and it's it's a mus it's a muscle flex it's like anything else the more you do it the better you get at it and, and the more results you get right and it's not a perfect so there's no perfect. Um, equation to this, which people are like, is there, you know, no. So like I have a couple of people that have sleep problems, a variety, like they pop out of sleep. They don't go to bed to really, they have insomnia or mm -hmm. hypersomnia. Yeah. They have all kinds of different issues. Right. And that's one of those things. Do you see, I just went to look for my glasses. Yep. Yep. Um, <laughs> there we go. Um, that's one of the places where I, 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 have extra empathy for people who are so struggling with their sleep and they want it so badly, but they don't realize that the want for it is getting in the way right. of it happening. Because I mean, I have a, I have a huge list of really good techniques that one I've gotten from just standard behavior models and stuff, but also ones that I've created um, over my career and um, they work really well. Um, but However, the anxiety about the sleep gets in the way. But the the anticipatory anxiety mm -hmm. that starts midday yep. about, I wonder if this is going to work. We're already in the deficit range. We're already in the habituated area to demotivate the ability for us to do that. Um, and it's and people, unfortunately, think like it's one thing. Or unfortunately, I hear people say, uh, and I say, what are you thinking about right before you go to bed? Nothing. Oh, yeah. that is never true. Our brains are never off. No, that's Our the brains, most treacherous period of your day. That, right. A, nighttime yeah. is sleep time and nighttime is when you're not distracted. You don't have anything else going on. It's when your brain no, goes but that time when you're lying mode. in bed. Right. And there's no stimulus other than what's going on in your mind. Right. That's that's a really tough period. That That's something you need to learn to control. Well, and it's and it's. It, you may not recognize it, but your brain recognizes it as alert and scary as fear of if I let my guard down and I can't keep rehearsing these thoughts, yep. then how am I ever going to function? How am I going to survive the next day? How am I going to? So your brain, when your brain goes to sleep, it's supposed to go into repair and let those things release and go and work. 
now going back to the beginning of the show, when I said people pop out of sleep for a variety of reasons, this is one of them, not just metaprolol, right? It's because you have you have daytime anxiety. Now you go into sleep anxiety because you haven't been able to take the external measures to get rid of some of those thoughts or to put them aside. That doesn't mean stop them, but put them aside so that you can have the ability to sleep. Yep. And it's not just it's not just thoughts. It's it's the feelings of experiences and the worry about the future and the reminiscing about the past. Right. It's all the things that put the body and the polyvagal nerve into dysregulation. And that's what you're going to sleep on. So for people that are insomniacs and hypersomniacs and um, people who pop out of sleep and then can't get back to sleep and things like that, it's all of that because you're never letting, it's sort of like your brain has become addicted to the pattern and you're not stopping it, but you do have control over it. And that's a different show to give techniques. And also yeah. you should come see me for that. But, but you have to <laughs> but, regain control. It doesn't you know, you have to, you have to work your way into it. You well, and, the, and, and the other thing you have to work your way into it and people want the, want it to be perfect. And there is no perfect. You can have no. 65 years of a pattern or 20 years of that pattern. And you might get a couple nights in a row of good sleep. And then what I often hear is like, Oh my God, it worked for three nights in a row. And then it doesn't work anymore. No, <laughs> it's just that you went back to your old pattern of right. anticipatory anxiety and then lost faith in the thing that worked for three nights. So if it can work for three nights, right. it can continue, but you lost faith. You let go of your ability to take on the control, for lack of a better word, of doing yeah. this. It didn't work the fourth night. No, it just, you had a bad night. Go right. back, go back to it. Right. Instead yeah. of looking, but, the, and so that goes back to the top of the show again, is the habituation of the mental pattern that's been um, environmentally taught, behaviorally taught, emotionally taught, self, social observed taught, um, trauma taught, trauma taught mm -hmm. as big on the trauma response in the brain for sleep time. That's where trauma goes. Yeah. Mm, like people from, you know, veterans experience that all the time. Why? They didn't have any trouble from zero to 18 years old. We went in the military, surfer. 10 years did four tours over in Afghanistan and Iraq. And then now we've got a problem. Yeah. And I have, I literally have guys that will say, I never had any problem. I just don't understand why. Hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, mm. yeah. you know, I'm like, well, you have trauma and like, no, no, it's not a big deal. No guys will react that way. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. and it's like, no, that's, that's no, it's not that. Cause and, if you, if you suffer from trauma, you're a wimp. Well, and if, I, if, I'm if guessing in the military, admit, yeah. that then yeah. it's a problem and i'm guessing in the military that that conditioning of thought is even stronger right yeah. yes for many and yeah. i mean certainly the trend is shifting and i can say that you know many many more veterans are seeking help for these things but they still have a really um large reality check about like how to admit to that how to look at that because there is the i don't deserve it i'm not um i'm not like that other person who had it worse so i don't deserve to have yeah. you know help for this this isn't my you know, that kind of stuff survivor guilt well like, I, I do this myself with guys it's a thing that's no i'm fine yeah it's like that's the response all the time yes yeah michelle's saying and, and gals too and, and i'm not i'm not diminishing 
Well, uh, yes, all yeah. people. This yeah. is for everybody. I was just I was just picking out the fact that veterans are such an, an easy example of of the mental denial that people go into um, for but for anybody with trauma um, across the board, children, females, males, everybody can have this experience. And it's a it's that, um, you know, it's a self gaslight a lot of times of yeah. like, well, I don't deserve to have that. It's I'm not as bad as the next person in terms of my stuff. Like, who am I? I didn't. I have so many people um, tell me over the past 27 years, I didn't die. They did. So I didn't, I don't have that problem. I can't read what she's writing because I'm blind as a bat and I don't have my glasses on. Can you read? What it's Michelle just a saying? habit to say men in reference to veterans, but today women are part of that crew as well more and more. Yeah. True. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think it's so to Michelle's point, I don't think, I love that Michelle's here. Hi, Michelle. Um, but to Michelle's point, I don't think it's, I don't think that that's new for women. I think that that's been buried in a different way. Men, men and women both have it, but I think that women are so suppressed and oppressed in some of their trauma that the trending is certainly much more about like that being out now and acceptable and the same for like the, for like male veterans or people yeah. of, of war, but it's just, um, it, that goes back to the top of the hour again, the habituation of what's what's allowed, what can you take control over, what you're supposed to talk about, how does it present itself? Yeah. Like, you know, and women have a very different socialization around now, you know, you're supposed to tolerate and accept that. You're supposed yep. to be allowed. By the way, speaking of, I mean, I haven't seen the whole show yet, but um, there's a show on stars called Gaslit. It's about Martha Mitchell and the Nixon Watergate and blah, blah, blah. But the first two episodes of that, I mean, just as an aside, it just brought up like she's a very strong female and she, her husband's a very strong male. And you can see that both, at least in the character development of them, have some pretty significant traumas that they're dynamically uh, interacting. Martha Mitchell was the wife of a Nixon advisor, advisor. and she right. started to go against Nixon and er, Nixon and her, her husband. Yes. The advisor fought her to an extreme extent. Yes. It's an interesting storyline. It's a very interesting story. Yeah. And so when Michelle just brought that up, it, it reminds me of, you know. And this was public on a national level. Yes. Yeah. And that, and that reminds, but that's what I'm saying. It reminds yeah. me of how, um, talk about taking, demotivating or taking someone's empowerment from them. Um, At the time when women when, aren't supposed to, yeah. Right. Yeah. Back in the 70s. We're not supposed to be hearing from women about this right. stuff. Right. Yeah. And so, exactly. So, um, so that I, that when Michelle said that it came to mind that, Oh, that is such a good yeah. example of that. And then, but here's the thing I'm going to go back to the, so veterans, for instance, they, for years, and this is one of the things that one of the things that the guys don't go, you know, sometimes to the VA, they come outside to see me. It's because I can't report back yep. to the mothership, so to speak. I can, you know, yep. I don't have to tell their superiors what's going on. They have a safety that within the actual service of the military at the time that they're doing, even, you know, it, it, while they're still in active duty, if they go to the VA, that's the risk that they run, that they know that the information is being passed along and that jeopardizes their career. So they're shut down. Yep. So they're very oppressed and suppressed into not speaking. So they sit with their trauma, which is very unfortunate for the amount of suicides that are coming out of that. As we know, 22 a day is one of the big 
yeah. slogans for that. Um, you know, so we I can make many cases on all sides for for the for the genders of that. But again, it's going back to the sleep issue for for people who are inexperienced, not inexperienced, but in the experience of having um, demotivating behaviors around you, unhealthy environments, things that are contributing to what happens to you behaviorally and you're leaning into those unhealthy things versus leaning into something that's out there that's good so like for instance michelle and i talked about recovery right and how when you're in active addiction or you're in active trauma you're often surrounded by the trauma or the, right. the addiction when you're getting out of it you're you're seeking out universal shared experience with people who know your experience of being out of it so it's like it's that pendulum shift yeah. over for any kind of thing that someone's experiencing. And it could be anything, food, alcohol, trauma, gambling, sex, you know, whatever it is, it's just about saying, Hey, I can take responsibility for this. And that doesn't mean I'm bad and, and letting go of that misnomer that if I admit this, that means there's something wrong with me and therefore I'm bad. So it's easier right. to sweep it under the carpet and just not look at it. And then no one will notice. <laughs> and that's, the, and that's one of the, you know, the kiss of death kind of thing for people is to say, well, I just, I sweep it under the carpet. I call it my, with my dad, it was always like, Oh, it's the Irish stuff. It's the <laughs> Irish stuff goes under the carpet. We yeah. don't talk about it. But then when we don't talk about it, we're definitely going to blow up when we, when we haven't talked about it in yeah. a while. Right. Yeah. Because we're going to lose our minds on the, on a dime <laughs> and the then Irish go back family dynamic and then go so back under, and then yeah. go back under the carpet. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> right. And, have so, a drink. and I can say that because I have that yeah. in my family. Right. Yeah. So it's just like, it's, it's that same thing. It's like, okay, well clearly. And, and, you know, I can speak to that with my dad. There was trauma in the family. Yep. Not in my mom, dad, and my triangle, but there was trauma in his family. There was trauma in my mom's family. Um, I'm sure she would disagree. Just trauma in every care. Irish family. Right. And, and right. So, but the, <laughs> yeah. and, and that trickles down interfamilially because it impacts. Like I know that his trauma, my dad's trauma, impacted my three, you know, I'm an only, so there's that triangle. It impacted us three because it changed him. Sure. And then it changed me. I wasn't even born when their trauma happened yeah. and I have been impacted to this day by it. And forget just regular trauma. Our generation's parents were, you know, post-war right. parents. They were right. dealing with a lot of stuff. Right. Exactly. And that, and that's not even taking that into consideration. Yeah. I'm just talking about like direct familial right. habituated patterns that happened um and i watch it you know i was at a summer party and love love being with my my family um but you can see unfortunately and i know some of them listening you can and some of them totally see this but you can see where the people that are really still struggling from the trauma i'm referring to from oh, i'm gonna go back 65 years yeah but the, are still but there was no more. help for dealing with that right there was no right yeah right and so instead of taking control of it you didn't have a zoom meeting with the, your therapist all of us as yeah. a younger generation yeah the younger generation of you know like my cousins and their wives we all handle it very differently and we talk about it very freely yeah but if you bring it up in front of that set of the older people in in the trauma ugh, yep. you can see the um the trauma response and that habituated neural pathway going down a very bad path that has led to lots of health issues and struggles yep. and all those kinds of things for some of them suppression and denial yeah 
And so, and that happens across the board to many people, which is why it goes back to the top of the show is being able to advocate for yourself, being able to give yourself permission to, um, to move yourself forward. You're allowed to, even if you grew up and people said no, Um, there's self-care tips there, you know, saying yes, when you want to saying no, when you want to not having to have guilt or carry guilt when you, when you say and make a choice about something, uh, you know, there's some, those are important things. Um, giving yourself the permission to give yourself empowerment, not power, but empowerment to make a change in your life. So that gives you motivation to lean into behaviorally lean into your next step. How'd you like that? This is so important when you're a parent too. It's the whole thing. Put your mask on first, right. take, take care of yourself, be healthy because it's the only way to transfer it to the kids. Yes. Um, oh, I just was reading. Oh, thank you, Michelle. She loves us both, <laughs> but she loves me more because she knows me longer. There we go. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle. Yeah. Don't blow up his head now. Jeez. Um, uh, why is that a bad thing? Oh, what? That she loves me? That she loves both of us. It's not, but I love, I just love giving yeah. you a hard time because I can. <laughs> um, but she was just, she's laughing. Um, but yeah, life story, you know. Uh, men get gaslit a lot, you know, I mean, it, it's just, well, they self gaslight. Well, it, well, it goes, yes, yeah. yes. But I think that that's why I brought up the whole thing about the show gaslit because people don't even understand. I talk about that in my practice for years. And when I write that book, when people die, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to talk about gaslighting, but I do talk about it all the time about how, a person will come in and talk so much about being abused or being talked to poorly or not being treated right. And then I'm like, but you're gaslighting yourself because you're perpetuating it in your head. You're bringing yep. it with you all over the place. Instead of saying, here's where that stops. That person's not even around me. That person's not, you know, you know, so when people, when people get rid of, get rid of, when people exhume out of their lives, toxic people, because they choose to, they choose also to put that piece away from them and that they don't have to gaslight themselves over and over again, just because the tape or the narrative in their head from their childhood or whatever is still there. It's like, eh. and that doesn't necessarily involve putting up crime scene tape and keeping people away from you. It's just, it's just the amount of energy that you give It's on a continuum. You can be anywhere from just putting up a good boundary around a couple of things to all the way to the extreme end of saying, I can't be around this. And there's also the, that bugged me, but I'm going on. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and it, not, bug, it mugged me for 10 seconds now. I'm, I'm past it. Right, and not putting the mental energy into right. it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and not being um, But captive, often when people think to it. Often when people think about getting rid of toxic people, it's like you have to disconnect from them totally, and that's not necessarily it. It's just changing your approach to you know, how much effect they have on you. Yeah. I I love Michelle's comments. They're so good. <laughs> she you know you've grown wisdom. when you say yourself what story? Yeah. Right. Not sure. Oh, well, like, you know, like, you know, you've grown when there's no, like, there's no story in your head. Like it's, it's it's not there anymore because you, you have to actually be reminded of it, you know, or, or it's like, oh yeah. Yeah. Kind of like what I said a couple weeks ago when I went to Vermont and all of a sudden I hadn't thought of all these things in many, 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 many years. And then I was there and I was like, oh yeah, (laughs) I remember that. Yep. And then after the second time I was like, yeah, I've decided I don't want to come back here for a while. Because it brings up those thoughts. I'm guessing your healthy response to a lot of that, those feelings that get brought up when you're in the geographic area is you turn your back on it and it's gone. Right. 
yeah. right? Yeah. And that's that's an important yeah, skill. It, like literally when she said that, it was that triggered it to go, oh, yeah. But I would not normally think about it because it doesn't even impact me. Yeah. It does. I mean, I'm sure psychologically down deep, sure. But it, on a day to day, whereas it, it will for so many people, those pieces just sit with them over yeah. and over but even without all. exposure or even if someone passes away it never leaves them yeah but it's all past correct and it, it obviously it's still relevant and still part of your story but by the same token you have to you have to treat it as the past so i'll leave i'll get us yeah. closed on this point and then i'll come back and revisit it another time one of the things about the past is people sit and reminisce and ruminate and rehash because they hope to be able to go back and undo it that's yep. a trauma response right if they 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 have to let go of the hope unfortunately and i'm not saying hope in general i'm saying you have to let go of the hopeaholic nature the addiction to thinking you can go back and change the past or if only they saw it this way they would love me more if only they saw this change this uh -uh. there's yep. no undoing so it's like let go of that past and that will give you that leaning into the behavior that will motivate you to move forward. See? Right. All right. All right, you guys. Well, Michelle, thank you for joining. I hope it's beautiful out in 114,000 degree Arizona today. And we love you too. Oh, Lou loves you. <laughs> All right, you guys. I will see you next week. <laughs> Have a great week. <laughs>